Welcome to the Top Order Podcast. It's been a while since we have been around this table talking cricketing shit. But with this week in cricket, we've got heaps coming up. We've got a game on at Old Trafford. We've seen a game at the Aegeus Bowl. There's playing conditions galore being announced by various boards around the world. And we're going to talk about all of it after this swish. Board are going to come to you first to talk Big Bash League. Yeah, so the Big Bash is back and it's as long as it's ever been. In fact, there's so many games I don't know which one to watch and it's going to go for two weeks longer this year. I mean, we talked about this last year being a really, really long tournament. So it's going to start 3rd of December and run all the way through scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. And that's a real scroll, listeners and viewers. So <laughs> that is ge- genuine on this uh, very fancy tablet boarding. Until the 6th of February 2021. So it's going to be a tournament that runs well over two months. 61 games, looks like 14 games per team by the look of it. Um, with, you know, the world's most difficult final eliminator, qualifier, challenger, plate, cup. So what's happening to the rest of domestic cricket in Australia? They're still playing the Sheffield Shield, I would have thought, but do they have a one-day cup? They they do. So last year they had a one-day cup and it sort of started early and finished late from memory. The reason I don't know much about it is that it doesn't get very much coverage. It doesn't get very much marketing. The Sheffield Shield gets even less. This is the marquee tournament that people will be talking about and will be televising and will be watching in terms of domestic cricket in Australia. And the women's BBL, is it linked with this this year? It it looks as though it... Well, actually, let me let me find that out. Give me two seconds and I shall find out. So what are your guys' main concerns about this, <clears throat> the scheduling? Well, the, it, I mean, the length of it is obviously a pro- problem. I mean, we talked about it last year. You kind of just... I, to me... When tournaments just go forever, those those games don't mean so much. Mm. You know, those early games or whatever, you don't sort of start taking notice necessarily until later on in the competition. They're back to have more of an appointment to view though, aren't they? So I think they've lined a lot more of the games up to fit with the TV schedules, prime which, time. yeah, prime time. Straight after tests, right? Yeah, which I think that's, you know, that's what works really well if you go back a couple of incarnations of the BBL, I think. You know, you were kind of, you'd got your cricketing fix from the G and then you'd got a a big bash game to watch as well, which was, you know, pretty cool, I thought. Mm. Yeah, for me, it's a, there's things I like and things I don't like about it. I think having the extra two weeks is a smart move uh, just in case they need to postpone something. And that's the reason they've said they've got those extra two weeks there, mm-hmm. along with the prime time thing. But you saw when the NRL, they had to postpone a match a day because uh, of COVID. So I think it's smart from that res- in that respect. But the biggest thing for me is it's such a long tournament does that affect, one, overseas contracted players? Are they going to be able to spend that yeah. much time? That much time in Australia, yeah. In, yeah, in exactly, Australia yeah. playing. And, and and also, does that how does that affect the actual international Australian players? Yeah. Will they actually get to feature much? I know they haven't really featured much in the Big BL, but, uh, BBL, but I think they've got less of a chance now. Mm. Yeah. Well, here's the BBL, the WBBL schedule. So, looks, I'm looking at the Sydney Sixers site here because that's the first one that came up in my quick Google search. And they start 17th of October. So, they start well before the men's team do. They're, they're well into October and finishing on the 22nd of November. So, it looks like WBBL, then men's tournament running kind of consecutively. So, we're going to have T20 cricket in Australia from October through February. There's not going to be much mm. room for anything else. 
Yeah, and Raj just touched on it there as well. I think um, all from a slightly different angle about the overseas players. So I guess the big question really is the success of the tournament is going to be largely dictated from a TV perspective as to whether or not those big names do fly in and play the tournament or whether it is essentially, um, I guess, a glorified domestic T20 competition Mm. Due respect to any nation's T20 competition, if you've not got those marquee players coming in, your Andre Russells and the like, I don't think you've got a tournament that's really going to necessarily sustain that period of time yeah, and at if you all. Ha- and if you have a look at the scheduling, if the IPL finishes as advertised around the 8th to 10th of November, they've still got just enough time to get players into the bubble or into some kind of quarantine in Australia for a two, maybe three weeks, but they're not going to come in match fit unless they're match fit coming into the tournament, you know, so they're going to come straight in. They're going to be two weeks in isolation and then straight into straight into games. I guess you bring up a good point as well around that. Do you think that the BBL and the IPL markets are the same in terms of viewership and, and attendance? And will that September through to February just be too much franchise 2020 cricket? That's exactly what I was thinking. I mean, you're going to have the IPL. And so we've got now, what, from September potentially through to February mm. of just franchise tournaments. Mm. And then that's not without, you know, and here in New Zealand, we're going to have the Super Smash at some point. We're going to have, you know, all these other ones, the Caribbean Premier League, everything else going on. I mean, mm. it just feels like there's a, a real chance that the BBL was sort of the highlight-ish of that summer when it was away from the IPL, mm. now that it's going to be right off the back of the IPL, that really could, could tarnish it in a big way. Yeah. Well, How much of it is cricket boards needing to give the TV companies what they've paid for? Probably so a huge amount, isn't 100%, it? A hundred percent, yeah, absolutely. And those those boards are absolutely reliant on that money coming in from those TV rights or big marquee international tours for those cricket boards to be successful and to be able to pay their players. So that's exactly why... The big bash and the IPL have got the biggest windows and the most and the top billing on all of those um, all of those calendars. So we've touched upon the IPL. It's going to be played in Abu Dhabi. Um, so I think they're going to be playing Dubai, um, Abu Dhabi, and Sharjah. I think are the three grounds. Three venues. Yep. Um, I think the common theme is here. We don't know a lot about the COVID regulations that are going to be in place for all these tournaments. So that's the IPL. That is obviously the big bash league that we've spoken about. And we'll talk a little bit about the county championship return as well. So not a lot of detail on the COVID components. What do we think about an IPL? Um, They played a couple of months of it, I think, in that region previously. So not unprecedented. But again, you know, are we pumped to be be seeing this? And and the window's been announced. Obviously with the World Cup being cancelled as well or postponed, Mm. which led to that? that that's the big sort of question for me i mean when we talked to george de bell i mean that was his thing like right and and at the time i certainly agreed with him like it's a to me it feels like a really bad look that we've cancelled this international tournament that a lot of countries rely on and then you've rescheduled essentially to give it to a franchise tournament that benefits the elite players and the elite nations mm. but now sort of the more i think about it i actually some of that is out of the control of the ICC and out of the control of even Australia, you know, or or Cricket Australia. It's a lot of that is governmental. 
you know, I, mm. I don't know what Australia's situation is obviously starting to, to ramp up again at the yeah. time when they made that decision. Yeah. It looked like they were going to be completely clear. And it's gotten a lot worse since. So Victoria is now in a really big lockdown. All of the domestic leagues in Australia in terms of sport have had to rejig their tournaments, teams being relocated interstate. It's actually a lot worse now than it was when the Cricket Australia guys or the ICC and Cricket Australia made the decision to cancel that, that T20 World Cup tournament. Yeah, I I think it's the right call to postpone the World Cup. I just I think logistically you've got more teams coming in, you've got cricket boards having an increasing say. Whereas at least with an IPL or a big bash league or a county championship or whatever the tournament is, you've got the governing body calls the shots. The majority of the players are contracted by that board or that body. You've got obviously overseas players. You've got press. You've got you know some other factors. But to get that many teams in with the wishes of that many different um, countries that are probably going to be in different situations from a COVID perspective, different mm. quarantine laws when they return back to their home nation, I just think it would have been, a, you know, a, an mm. absolute logistical uh, maze. So I can see why that's, you know, why that's happened. I just really hope that it wasn't a monetary decision and it, you know, it wasn't because, you know, the IPL well, is if the you think cash about, If you think about who's funding those teams travelling to that tournament, they're the home national boards of all those cricket associations for whom no cricket is being played right now. But if it's an IPL tournament, then the IPL reaps all the financial benefits of hosting that tournament. And so they're the ones that are funding the teams going and they're the ones that benefit directly. So I think they they stand to win far more and they're much in a much better place in terms of their corporate sponsorship to be able to fund the tournament and to be able to get everybody in and pay for Abu Dhabi and Sharjah and, and Dubai hosting those those teams and they can have a lot more control over that. I, I just I don't think I, I don't think that as you as you said Baldy, I don't think that there was any chance of it going ahead. Money, whatever, it just was not going to go ahead by how it spiraled out of control in Australia at the moment. Mm. But uh, the interesting thing for me is actually the the shit fight that's about to happen with who hosts which World Cup mm. Yeah, coming that's up. going to be real um, interesting, yeah. So, yeah, so obviously it's been postponed one year, and they've said Australia want to host the 2021, but Australia, uh, India also want to host that 2021 one, yep. uh, mainly for the fact that they don't want to host the next IPL, uh, sorry, the next 2020 World Cup, which is in 2022, because they are also hosting the World Cup in 2023. For the 50 overs yeah, version 50 of the game. Yeah, yeah. So, I, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see who wins that battle. India. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it still feels to me like this is a real black mark on the, like, there is a lot of international teams that are going to miss out on a lot of money here. Mm. And it's a real problem. I don't, yeah, I don't have the solution. But, you know, I mean, I guess if if we were flipping it round and we were going to Dubai to play the World T Twenty World Cup, would we be happier? I'll go. I think yeah, I, I would be quite happy with that. Honestly, given that Australia can't host the tournament, mm. I would have been happy with with the you know with ICC going. We can host the tournament in the same window in the UAE, and given that India are going to the UAE to host the tournament. Mm the logistics of hosting the tournament is similar. The funding model and the financial model is very, very different, mm. I would assume. But the logistical model of getting 11 IPL teams versus 
what, how many teams are in the T20 World Cup? 16? Yeah. Something like that. Play in tournament as well. Yeah, so, yeah, so maybe the logistics are a little bit harder. Maybe the money's not quite there. And I think it's not so much could it be hosted in the UAE. I think it's what is the what is like fundamentally the better financial model for cricket. And I think everyone's agreed that the IPL earns a lot of money and therefore they're going to get the rights to host it. Can I ask a all? question here from a different point of view? What do you think the players want? Well, it's going to be interesting, isn't it? Because Kane Williamson, like, so New Zealand is basically, I forget the wording, but they've said they're not going to contest. Like, the players are free to go if they want to go. So they've been issued their um, their knock certificates, essentially. Yeah, which, that's yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, so they're allowed to go if they want to go. New but, Zealand said But they've fine. got to do their own due diligence yep. um, and make sure that they are then available for New Zealand if required and I've, I've met all of those kind of requirements around mm. quarantine and things yep. like that yep. yeah and they'll have to do most likely you would have thought they'll have to do their two weeks when they come back to new zealand at that point yeah they yeah so, so someone like kane williamson i think he came out and said you know he's still waiting i guess to hear what it's going to look like and and i imagine they're all going to be doing that but you know on the flip side I, i've heard a couple of them say you know can't wait been training can't wait yeah. to get back into it because i mean it's been a long winter for these guys, hasn't it? I've seen a couple of interviews, uh, or read a couple of interviews from uh, Finch and Warner, and they're sort of leaning towards they want to play the IPL. I don't think there's any mystery as to why they want to do that. But um, no, tell us. What, what, <laughs> going going back to you're gonna to have to correct me here. I think it was Dietz or Maxwell was talking about how the game is effectively revenue generated by 200 players or yeah, a few players. Yeah, Neil Maxwell. Yeah. How much of a say do they get in that if they are in charge of generating or keeping cricket going? Shouldn't they get to do what they want to do? There's no doubt that those marquee players will have been at least courted for their opinion as to what they would want to do. I think I'm going to actually are on the side of saying that let's look for nefarious reasons that this has happened. Um, and, 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 and hear me out. So I think what this is about, and I think if you look at this as a, as a humanistic conversation, this gives individuals some choice. You know, you as an individual can decide whether or not you're going to go and play in a franchise tournament, whether that's the IPL, the Big Bash, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. The minute it is an ICC-sanctioned tournament, your cricket board is saying, we've done our due diligence. You know, right now, if you think about pre-COVID, every single board would have sent their security guy to anywhere that there might have been a little bit of risk, whether that was Sri Lanka, Pakistan... I know England have obviously done a lot of that pre-work already. We were talking to Wasim Khan, who was saying that the ECB's CEO and, and head of security have been over to Pakistan to skate for a tour that was going to happen, I think, in 2022. Mm. Um, but then the board say it's safe to go. Um, yes, they give the players a little bit of a say, particularly if there's an incident, but ultimately you know, they're going to be expected to get on a plane and go there. So I, I think perhaps that this franchise scenario means that individuals are going to make those choices you're not going to have a board that you know has to travel and i think but you know particularly uh, for some of those smaller boards as well whether or not they've got the coin to do that at this stage anyway might you know might help them when there's those three back-to-back -back limited over world cups two t20s and obviously yeah. the 50 over coming up in rapid succession mm -hmm. through uh, 21, 22, 23. It's a good point, isn't it, in terms of, like, if you look at that and compare it to what happened in, in this England-West Indies series and you've got those four West Indians who just didn't didn't make themselves available for that tour yeah. for various reasons, you you would have the same thing in the, the IPL, uh, in the World T20. You'd have exactly. the exact same thing happen. People saying, I've got young family, whatever yeah. it is, and not going. And then the tournament is compromised 
the IPL can kind of get around that because those international players can you've only got a certain amount that you're allowed to play anyway. Yeah. They've got bigger squads. They're, yeah, it's it, to me it doesn't feel like it's going to impact the actual quality of the tournament as much as yeah. it might do. 100%. The viability of the international T20 tournament would be massively affected if Ireland's three best players pulled out mm. or or Zimbabwe's three best players pulled out versus three guys pulling out of the Kings Eleven Punjab is not ideal, but there will be a lot of players ready to go and the overall integrity of the tournament wouldn't be as mm. as called into question as much as if it was three guys from Ireland or Sri Lanka or England or Australia or, or whoever. The, the other monetary factor here has got to be the host nation as well. <clears throat> so obviously Australia, if they were hosting this T20 World Cup and highly unlikely that they've been able to do, and obviously it's been pulled pin now anyway, given mm. the spike that they've had in Victoria for COVID. But you would assume that the home nation is going to make some money from gate receipts, from merchandise, mm. from all of the um, conveniences at the game, etc. Whereas that's obviously not going to be the case when you're playing with limited fans and behind closed doors. So yep. again, I wonder whether that's, you know, well, I'm sure it is a factor. 100% it's a factor, right? Whereas this is all a factor. Yeah. TV money for the IPL, yes, they've come out and said that's actually a minimal part of the product. You know, it's mm. a, what, what did Neil Maxwell say? It's not like a four... Hundred million dollar tournament or something along those lines. We may have got the stats and go back and listen to the episode, but um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. So I, I think that that's you know that's a factor as well. Mm. I, I want to touch upon crowds as well. So we, we've obviously seen some cricket now with England West Indies with this kind of hum in the background. W what are we going to? Th what are we thinking about whether or not the lack of crowds in the ground is actually going to make a, as much of a difference to your viewing experiences? Um, as perhaps before we'd experienced it leading into the IPL? and Well, uh, to take it away from cricket, I mean, I've watched a lot of NRL with that crowd noise. Um, I don't I don't think it's that great, to be honest. Mm. Uh, they, they have talked, you know, the NBA is about to start up. They're talking about using the same system that Channel 9 and Fox were using. I, I don't what, someone saying you're flaming a lot in the yeah, background? I, I just, they might want to localise it slightly. Alpha Stewart's not there, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't actually think it's great. I don't think, I, sure, the the actual ambience, the uh, you know that little the hum, ambience. I don't, yeah. I don't mind that hum, but you really notice it when a wicket's taken or a boundary's hit mm. or something, and it's just a static hum or the, that hum. It, there's no mm. thing yeah. there. I, I think it. it the crowds are the way to go. That's something as well that we were talking about the IPL going to, going into uh, Dubai and the United Arab Emirates, uh, is just the IPL is about the crowds. Yeah. The IPL is about the crowds, and it's it's. I feel like it's a completely different tournament mm. without those crowds. I mean, even watching Test cricket in the UAE, it's it's a wonderful place to play because it's it's dry and it's sunny and and you know all, all the rest of it, but. There are, get a bowl. There are it's a terrible place to play because it's dry. You can't, oh, have a yeah. you can't have a beer after <laughs> the game. Well, that's a good point. Um, but in terms of the crowd atmosphere, there's very, <laughs> very few people who actually attend games in the UAE in terms of cricket. So you do effectively play test match cricket in the UAE in front of an empty stadium. There might be a couple of hundred people there, but there aren't many. It's fine if... Well, it's not fine if it's test cricket, but there is less of an impact 200 versus none in test cricket as opposed to 60,000 people chanting and screaming for Jasper Bumrah at mm. 
you know, Mumbai or Bangalore or, or wherever versus a completely empty stadium with piped in crowd noise in Sharjah. It's it's going to be a massive impact on the tournament and I think on the players as well. I mean, we talked to the guys who played that Australian-New Zealand game in Sydney and they talked about how eerie it was and how unusual it was to play without mm. crowds. And they might say that it's not a big deal, but it will be. Cool. Well, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back after the break, chat a lot more this week in cricket topics. But we've talked about the IPL, about the Big Bash. We've touched upon the COVID environment. But we'll be back after this little swish. So welcome back to the pod. We've just taken a quick break to refresh our Australian cricket stubby holders with a new <laughs> beer. Um, we were talking, obviously, before the break about... Cricket without fans, essentially. We've watched a little bit of this series between West Indies and England in the biosecure bubbles of the Aegeus Bowl and Emirates Old Trafford to give the sponsors their good props, which we need to do in this COVID environment. Everybody needs a little bit of commerciality. What do we think, though, about the, the no crowds? How has it affected the product, do we think? So for me, that when we watched that Australia-New Zealand ODI, I thought it was the weirdest thing I just couldn't get my head around it. People were hitting it through the field and you you were, you were just didn't know what had happened because normally you'll hear some crowd, you'll hear, you, you know, you know something reacts, someone reacts and you, you just, you know if it's a good result for your team or a bad result for your team and you just had no idea. The test matches, I haven't actually felt that at all. And I, the test matches have kind of felt fine. There's a, there's a couple of occasions where maybe they hit it down the ground or something for four or they do hit it through the field and, yeah, you don't hear that clapping like you would in a normal game. But in a test match, it doesn't feel as weird. I haven't, yeah, personally haven't been impacted by it much at all. I 100%. I think that it, it, it changes the dynamic of how it how it's received on TV. Mm. That little, you know, great single out to cover point that they've taken with gentle applause following that. And then I think the biggest one is the Bami Army. I don't know why, but... I, I don't feel like I miss them, but then I think about it, I'm like, oh, that's actually missing from mm. from this. It should be there. Um, so yeah, I think I think that the no crowds does make does have a you know detrimental impact on it. I hate to say it, but I really miss the Barmy Army. I really <laughs> do. I I really miss the atmosphere that they bring to Test match cricket. Um, you know, everything about the Barmy Army is positive for for the game of oh, cricket in terms yeah. of the Test match, and I've really missed them. I. It pains, it pains me to say it, but I really do. I, I miss the contribution that they make, and it would be lovely if we could somehow have them in their own bubble, as horrifying as that would be, <laughs> and then bring them to the ground and have them, you know, sing Jerusalem and sing he's big, he's bad, he's better than his dad, Stuart Broad, Stuart Broad, and yeah. then, you know, have them. That would be brilliant, but I don't know if it would ever happen, but. I miss them. What have the? I feel like I've heard something just recently in some sport. Maybe it's the NBA. Are they? I think they're trying to do something with the fans so that the fans can be involved in some way. I think I heard that they uh, they're trying to do something online so that they can have fans can click cheer, cheer, mm. cheer, and all that kind of stuff. And oh, or wow. um, or you know they'll they'll record some fans and some fans will be able to play certain messages or cheers or. You know, go LeBron or what? You know, whatever they do. There could be, just, there could be some good messages in there that, that slipped through by mistake. <laughs> All this proves to me is this AI, AI stuff is absolute bullshit. They should have created AI crowds by now, shouldn't they? If they really had their, Give had their stuff to get. Well, isn't that's they're working on, aren't they? Chris Keynes is working on, is he? Silence. We'll, we'll <laughs> move on from him. 
<clears throat> I'm pretty sure he's doing something in that in that field. But yeah, yeah. Look, I I, I have to say, look, it's a, it's a clean sweep. I agree. I, the one thing I'd say is that the grounds in England do have their own personality. So. Um, I, I am guessing, and I don't know, but that little hum that they've got in the background sounds very much like a, a Lord's hum, you know, a background noise of, you know, people kind of quietly tucking into their sandwiches. And look, <laughs> genuinely, you know, you don't get that kind of raucous, but, you know, Barmy Army singing and, and, and whatnot at some of the grounds. Um, mm. I think the Ashes are slightly different last summer. You've got, you know, the atmosphere, I think, across the five test matches. But typically, the, you know, the grounds are a little bit different. So, um, to Raj's point, yes, you're not hearing that. Oh, that's gone down the ground. That's for that's a great shot. You know, people start to notice, put their sandwich down, or you know, go, oh yeah. Um, but I, I think by and large, it's actually been reasonably watchable um, mm. with that little bit of background uh, background noise. Yeah, just just one other thing, just before we move on there. Um, I'm really looking forward to the NBA this week. Listening to the sort of trash talk that said, you know, because mm. there's no crowd and you can hear everything. But I haven't heard anything. Do you think they've turned the stump mics down? In the desk, I haven't heard anything from the field. Or you very occasionally hear post wicket. Yeah. You might hear. Uh, I think I heard you just, got Stokesy when, yeah. when, just he, when, keep he, walking when he got on. that bounce. Yeah. When I told you I'd get him or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think yeah, I think it's been Stokes and and the West Indies yeah. engaging in stuff like but that. They must have turned it down for the they reason that it would be so noticeable yep. with you know with the the lack of crowd in, yep. in the ground. Absolutely, you'd hear everything, wouldn't yeah. you? You'd be hearing all the clapping. You'd be hearing all the you know, come on, let's go, Broadie. Like and yeah, you just haven't heard. Well, again, would you pay extra for that if you could oh, stick absolutely. a fiver onto 100%. your Spark Sport and, and hear unfiltered stump mics? We've talked about this before, yeah, Mister Mister. It would be Mr. massive trick. A hundred percent brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the return of the county championship in the UK, or sorry, the return of four-day cricket, it's going to be under the Bob Willis Trophy. Border, you've got the playing conditions and the announcement from the ECB today. Yeah, so 18 first-class county teams will compete for the Bob Willis Trophy this year instead of the county championship. So they'll be divided into three pools of six teams and they will play each team in their pool once. So they'll play five four-day games. Uh, three groups, the North group, uh, and Adam, you'll have to sh give us some um, analysis on the balance of these squads, but Derbyshire, Durham, Lancashire, Leicestershire, Nottinghamshire and Yorkshire in the Northern group. Yeah, so Derbyshire and Leicestershire will struggle. Mm. And in the Central group, Glamorgan, Gloucestershire, Northamptonshire, Somerset, Warwickshire and Worcestershire in the Central group. Yeah, so Glamorgan and Northants will struggle there. And in the South group, Essex, Kent, Hampshire, Middlesex, Surrey and Sussex in the South group. Yeah, so that's probably I think the strongest of the three. Yeah, of the three groups. Um, but yeah, look, great to see that there's going to be some four-day cricket. There's a few changes. I think some load management rules in there for uh, shorter playing days. Yeah, so each team will play five games. We'll play each team in their in their pool once, and then the two teams with the most points of those three groups, or the the two winners of the groups with the most points, will play in a final. So. Um, Four-day games, 90 overs a day as opposed to 96, 98 yeah, pretty, in a normal Yeah, pretty day. sure it's normally 96 and 98 overs in a day. Um, I stand to be corrected. Each each team will have their first innings capped at 120 overs. Mm. Um, so there's a limit to the, the time you can bat in, in the first innings, which seems like a reasonable... Uh, reasonable change for mine. New balls, 90 overs instead of 80 um, in... 
in in the four day tournament. So you get your new ball after ninety overs, as opposed to eighty. Is what's the th- what's the theory behind that? It, shoot? It's all workload stuff. So um, I've seen. I mean, even so, when I first went over to the UK and played cricket over there, you there's all there was a l- number of rules. They they might still apply around. Uh, you know how many overs you can bowl in a row if you're a certain age, how many or who has to wear a helmet, all that kind of stuff around player welfare and player protection. Mm-hmm. They've brought those those were sort of club rules at that stage. They've brought some of those rules into this level. So, you know, you might have them in front of you, but sort of as you go up the ages, 18, 21, 25, they're only allowed to bowl a certain amount of overs in the day. Mm -hmm. And if they exceed, they can exceed that, but if they exceed that, it's then, they then have to stand down from the next game. Right. And the 90 overs thing is around that. And same with the 120 overs, same with the, they've, Bumped up the follow-on so that 150 you, to 200, yeah, yeah. It's all around giving seamers really mm. making sure that they're not bowling huge, spending huge days in the field, and then backing up again two days later for another test. Me- I mean, for another four-day game. Yeah, I've got to admit, I really like the concept of this, and I think if you look at a lot of the talk that's come out of, particularly the cr- cricketing Twitterati in the UK. So you know, we've spoken to George DeBell, we've had. Uh, the cricket badger on the podcast. They talk a lot about county championship cricket. One of the things has been this three conference idea as a, as a way of improving the first class game. So whilst the groups wouldn't necessarily be the conferences that you would pick if you were doing it a little bit more scientifically, they're obviously mm. doing this for geographic reasons. Yeah, it looks so like that, geo, yeah. Um, rather, you know, rather than anything else, I think this, you know, could actually pave the way for a revised, you know, county cricket schedule as we move forward so look i think it's great i think it's Mm. brilliant that they're going to be getting some cricket on the guys coming off furlough and actually you know playing some sport yeah it looks great i mean the only fly in the ointment for me in terms of the setup of this competition is they're awarding eight points for a draw instead of five so they're incentivizing draw cricket by awarding more points for that it seems odd given that they're capping the first innings but then awarding more points for the draw i'm Mm. not quite sure how that works i would have thought that incentivizing result cricket would be the way to try and get a little bit more attacking cricket into the West Indies. I mean, I w- guess w- the thing is though, it's a short, it's a shorter competition, isn't it? So it's probably saying that rain might play a part, and it could be yep. disproportionate if you've lost some rain, yep. particularly if you're playing in the north of England where it hoses down all the time. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know that northern group's going to struggle. It's yeah, gonna, I mean, it's grim it, up there. According to the ECB official press release, this change has been made to mitigate the impact of weather in a shortened competition. But so I, I hadn't read oh, the press you release. You so so you've got to get all the way to the bottom. Yeah, all the way to the bottom. <laughs> um, I remember there was a bit of. Uh, Voting and and some counties didn't want to play red ball cricket, some didn't want to play white ball cricket. How does how has that landed in this new format? Yeah, so look, I, I think the ECB have made this you know made this call. I know they've canvassed the counties. Look, I, I don't want to get into any hot water, but I think there was a couple of counties particularly that didn't want to play, and the argument levelled at them or the accusation levelled at them was that financially they wanted to continue to take this government furlough money um, because that was going to be better than them actually playing cricket. So, mm. look, I'm really glad that, you know, there's going to be some, you know, going to be some sport. Um, and they're going to be live streaming the majority of the games, I believe. Bordy will have the details as to where you can uh, where you can tune in. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, in terms of the social media involvement, um, ECB will be hosting that. You can, you can, if you're in the UK, as I understand it, uh, you can follow the, 
Bob Willis Trophy on the ECB website, on their YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So the ECB press release has all of those channels that you can follow. Um, although it does say here, what if I miss a day? Ah, you should visit your local First Class County website and follow their channels as well. So if you want to watch highlights packages from your particular county, you can go to their local uh, Facebook page or their local website or follow them and they will be able to give you highlights from the day's play. I, th I think it will be really interesting even from our perspective over here in terms of what, they're, out, they're not in a bubble. You know, this is no. going to be the first mm. kind of cricket that we've had in the world since COVID where they, you know, well, at, at this level anyway, at first class level, that we're going to see how this actually works. You know, is it is it actually possible? I don't know what kind of testing they're going to be doing, all that kind of stuff. I'm sure they'll be doing a lot. But, yeah, is, is it going to work? And, and what is going to happen when inevitably in a place where COVID but, is still kind of rampaging? There's going to be positive tests. Yeah. You know, you look at the UK, I'm no... Um, yeah, no doctor, but certainly there are going to be cases through the course of a county championship season of this length mm. or Bobbleus Trophy of this length, um, given the, the rate of infection still in the UK. So, yeah, I'm really interested to see what the conditions are for that and what the, you know, the rules and regulations are around that. I doubt, obviously, we'll see any of the England contracted players going back to play for mm. their counties think not. if they're going to be involved in these games against Pakistan potentially Australia and Ireland later in the summer as yeah, well. Yeah, 100%. The, um, the other thing I read was that uh, they were talking about bringing crowds back slowly for mm. the cricket and using it as a sort of a, a test for when they're looking at EPL and, and things like that later in the year. Where, where is that sort of standing? Are they still going to try that? Yeah, so my understanding is um, it will be relatively limited and I think um, Surrey and Middlesex actually played a warm-up game where they trialled the trial, if you like, so that, you know, they, they had some members only. Um, mm -hmm. So obviously county cricket relies quite heavily on those hardy members. So, you know, several thousand um, at some of the larger counties, um, you know, would be the max that they're going to get to. So I know that they did have a few hundred people at that game, Middlesex-Surrey. So yeah, look, I, 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 yeah, I doubt the EPL is gonna look um, too hard at it from a volume perspective because you know three or four hundred people in a cricket ground versus trying to get ten or fifteen thousand into a, an EPL game is gonna be very, very different. But again, this is this is we talked about it before we came on air, didn't we? Around the COVID situation with West Indies England almost being the kind of blueprint for what's going to happen in cricket around the world, and mm. you know this is an extension of that again. You know how are we going to get fans? back into grants how are we going to manage these bubbles you know with the exception of Joffre Archer's little drive to Hove this has been relatively successful you know yeah. mm. there hasn't been too much you know too much scandal I think Michael Vaughan actually got in a bit of trouble as well for uh, inviting Phil Tuffnell into his room for a, a wee drink but other than that you've not heard too much um, mm. in terms of protocol breaches and things like that no I mean it feels like you know going back to that series it feels like this bubble is working we're getting you know, I, I don't feel like the cricket has been, the standard has dropped in, in any noticeable way. I mean, potentially, you know, you've you've had a bit of uh, variability bit because of, of guys, yeah, because of yeah. the rust and stuff. But aside from that, it's felt like test cricket. Mm. Yeah. And there was, there was the breach with Beth, I think it was. Was he de shine the ball with some spit? Uh, Sibley, yeah. yeah Self-reported, yeah, yeah. So I think, I think you know, that from that point of view, it's going well. Um, I, I found it interesting that they were talking about if, if you get caught twice, they're going to penalise you five runs or something yeah. along those lines. Surely those sorts of indiscretions are, you know, 
fine or monetary sort of um, sanctions because that just opens up controversy everywhere. I tell you what, if the ball's not swinging, I fully expect players to be going, oh, I've put spit on the ball. Can you mind just putting a little bit of hand sanitizer on it for me, Mr. Umpire? So it's been pretty, pretty liberal with that. Oh, there's a lot of spit on there. Can you just lather it up with a bit of hand sanitizer for me? Just on one side, if you wouldn't mind, just on that rough side there and get a bit of moisture in it and we'll bend it around corners again. Well, I trust the Aussies to come up with a solution to make <laughs> the ball right. swing. <laughs> Got to do something. Um, Lippy, I want to talk to a little bit New Zealand cricket with you as well. So I think to a large extent, slow news day in the cricketing world with the exception of obviously of this test match going on in Old Trafford. But some press about the relationship between Kane Williamson and Gary Stead. Suggestions, I think, going back a little while from James McConey, I think, who suggested that he'd got good sources that Tom Latham um, should be captain of the Black Caps side. Um, and talk of a you know a healthy conflict between Stead and Williamson, both of uh, of whom have rebutted any such hogwash. Um, but what are your thoughts? I mean, I guess um, I've had a similar thought the whole time. That to me, this is this is slow news day stuff. It feels like that. I mean, I I wouldn't. I'm not basically reading anything into it other than what they're actually saying. I mean, I think when we talked to Steady he essentially said that it's his attitude is that it's kind of okay to have healthy conflict as, as you know, he might not have put it that way, but essentially if you all just agree with each other, then, then, you know, he's someone, it sounds, you know, when we talked to him, he was saying he takes notes, he does all the stuff. He has plenty of thoughts, even when he was saying around uh, how he came in when Hessen had had the job and he really wanted to kind of put himself into the, you know, his ideas into the fold but knew that he had to take a little step back to start with, and and to me, it, to me, it, it all depends on what does Kane think. Like, you know, Steady may have all sorts of thoughts about what's the best for the team, and and you know, I have no idea if you know they've all come out the whole time, and and all of the players. Anytime I, they um, I saw they asked Matt Henry about uh, Canterbury bias. And he just, you know, they all just laugh it off. He said something like, oh, yeah, everyone's jealous about uh, the fact that we get to live down here. And, like, they, they're all kind of making jokes about it. And to me, mm. it doesn't feel like you would be making jokes about it if there was a big issue. But, I mean, we're going to see, you know, we're going to see what happens. It feels like, um, you know, sensationalism at its finest, doesn't it? Like, just putting that headline in there, conflict, using the word conflict. Yeah. If they said, uh, you know, they disagree about the length of the opening bowler's spells. That's a less controversial, yeah. you know what I mean? Uh, so, yeah, I think it, it's just a little bit of a slow news day, as you say. I mean, we'll, we'll find out. I mean, you know, three months' time. In, in fairness, they haven't had a huge amount of adversity in, in his tenure. With You know, how much do you put down to him? How much do you put down to the squad? That's all up to your own interpretation. They had the Australian stuff. They had then had the 5-0 lost to India in the T20 series and the pressure did really ramp up on them mm -hmm. but then they bounced back and they won in that uh, ODI series against India and then won the Test series very convincingly so you know we're going to see if they do start struggling in some games but I think on the other side it's a valid question to ask about the captaincy because Kane Williamson I saw that it had been reported that he'd had five years in all formats captaincy in, in the captaincy we touched on uh, in the summer how there was a lot of people were saying, should he even be playing T20s? Mm. You know, we kind of, our thoughts were probably that he should be. Yeah. And he sort of proved that to me, I, I think, over the summer. But 
you know, I think these are valid questions to be asking. And if the coach is not thinking about that, and even Williamson, you know, I would, I mean, you know, I don't know Kane, but I would have thought he's kind of person that thinks about the team above himself. And, you know, he's even touched on the fact that there is going to be a day where he's not the captain of the side and he just wants to be able to help them. So, yeah, to me, it's a non-issue until we actually see evidence that it is an issue. Mm. I mean, the last time we touched on the topic, we talked about whether or not Kane and Ross would go to the T20 World Cup this October, November. What was going to be then the T20 World Cup and go, okay, this is going to be our perhaps our T20 swan song. We might play an extended test career for maybe Ross another two years, Kane maybe another four or five. But that would have been their way of exiting the T20 scene and maybe giving another guy in that New Zealand setup captaincy of the T20 side. I mean, England have been very successful in bringing their guys through T20 cricket, giving them a bit of leadership opportunity and then bringing them into the test fault. So maybe that was the plan previously. I think COVID's probably put paid to that. and It'll be really interesting to see what the succession plan is for Kane and Ross, particularly in that limited over stuff. And they might they might give 50 over cricket away and, and try and play that T20 World Cup the year after this one. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see what happens there. Yeah. It, it depends on how like how Kane feels. Like he's actually this could still be pretty like, young. Well, yeah, yeah, he's still pretty young. And I think you look at this COVID situation. This is actually I would say net going to prolong more careers than yeah. it's going to reduce because yep. guys have had the chance to have a break. Yes, you might get the odd one that takes stock and goes, Do you know what. I don't want to be on this treadmill anymore, particularly given, you know, health risks and, and all that kind of stuff. It's mm-hmm. brought some, you know, um, I, I don't know what the phrase is, but something home to roost um, with, with <laughs> them. Maybe roosters <laughs> would yeah, be the obvious roosters thing. Are home to roost, aren't we? Um, but yeah, I, I think it's going to prolong more careers than it's going to, you know, than it's going to shorten. But I, look, I think they've got to get back on the park, haven't they? Um, mm-hmm. Before you can start to even have these conversations. Yeah, it's all speculation at this well, point. The other right? interesting thing, and uh, you mentioned that, um, Binksy, is that from this third test, a lot of those players look very tired. You know, uh, while, while we're talking about lengthening careers and all that stuff, if this is what they're thinking is a sustainable model going mm-hmm. forward, I mean, they, they just can't do this. Well, you, you equate it with anybody else's profession. I don't know about you guys, but certainly through the COVID piece from a work perspective, um, and that's what these guys are doing now. They are adding a layer of stress, a layer of ambiguity on top of what is already a highly pressurized, highly physical, highly mental, in a spotlight, in a bubble, literally now, these mm. guys. Mm. It's going to be, you know, I think m- almost more intense playing these games from a from a mental perspective because you're in that, you know, in that environment, you're in that sort of, um, you know, that bubble which we, you know we keep we keep hearing about, it. Um, and the physical stuff. I mean, Shannon Gabriel, how on earth he's got on the park three games yeah. in a row? Unbelievable! I don't know what it? he's doing when he goes off. Like, he, you know, he goes off, comes back on, and bowls again. He must be having like a bionic leg fitted. <laughs> like. His um, ice baths must be fantastic. They must be he, cold. He, he must be very <laughs> cold because he's looked, like you say, he's looked, you know, a couple of runs short of being at peak fitness and he did really well to get on the park for that first test. But you're absolutely right. If nothing else, everybody has been saying to these guys how much responsibility they need to carry and how much rides on them doing everything right, not just on the field, but off the field as well. They carry so much responsibility, these guys. Mm. And they're professional sportsmen and they're paid a lot of money, but they are wearing this extra layer of responsibility on their shoulders as well. And it and it may take its toll on them. So let's just quick 
quickly talk about Joffre. So I, I know it's kind of fish and chip wrapper now, but thoughts on his little indiscretion? I mean, my thoughts would be around... Uh, my thoughts would... Like how you would deal with him to me is around how much people actually felt that kind of betrayed the squad or, or anything like that. And yeah. and that's very hard to know from the outside. I mean, the fact that Ashley Giles then came out and said stuff like, you know, he could have ruined our whole summer. I, I, that's 100% right. Like if, if he had, you know, contracted it or something happened there, mm. then obviously, yeah, that, that does ruin the whole summer. And that has to be, if, if that's the case, to me, he hasn't had enough of a kind of stand down or, or anything like that. However, if the team is like, oh, geez, you've done a really dumb thing here, I, I don't know, t- then, it, yeah, then the punishment doesn't f- doesn't feel like you should be absolutely ca- uh, caned for that, you know? Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned Giles there. I'm sure I saw something about him using the words Joffre was going back to his safe space. He was talking about his home environment, his mm. flat or whatever, was somewhere where he felt safe and he didn't realise that what he was doing was do you know putting mm. putting that kind of risk and if we're talking about mental you know the mental sort of health of the of, of the players they're not allowed to go home they're not allowed to go down to the McDonald's I mean I'd struggle with that <laughs> you know they 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 literally have to live in a bubble mm. and it just you know I can understand from that point of view that he didn't think he was doing anything wrong mm. but um, well maybe he did think he was doing something wrong but. He took that risk, but I, I just I, I can understand that, and it is interesting when you hear words like safe space mentioned and yeah, and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's very hard to know from the outside, isn't it? Baldy, anything to add? Not really. I mean, it sounds like an innocent mistake made by a guy who was immediately incredibly remorseful and owned up to the mistake that he made. A lot of the time, when you see players make a mistake or they they do something dumb, they they couch their apology in things like I didn't mean to cause offence or they they kind of don't really take accountability for their own actions. Mm. What I saw from Jofra Archer is a guy who did something wrong, immediately understood the severity and the consequence or potential consequence of what he did and owned up to that and said, I got this wrong. I thought I was doing X and I'm look, I'm really, really sorry. And I genuinely believe that he carries a lot of remorse for what he did and there was no I don't think there was any malice or recklessness to it he made a mistake um, not through being silly but just did the wrong thing yeah. and I think you know the the punishment was severe monetarily for for that guy um, he was he missed a test match that I'm sure he would have loved to have played and he ran the risk of not being able to play that third test. I mean, those England seamers did pretty bloody well in that second yeah. test. There was a good chance that he wasn't going to play. As mm. it is, he is one of their best three bowlers and should play in the third test, and he did. But he ran that risk, and that was a potential consequence of his actions. I, I feel for him. Um, I don't think he'll do it again. I think he's a good kid. Yeah. For me, it was just the language that came from the rest of the players. That you know, Stokes and Butler were wanting to say that they were going to put his arm around him and, and help him out. Mm. You contrast that to the way that they spoke about Alex Hales. And I'm not comparing the two scenarios, but mm-hmm. they're ultimately, and Lippy touched upon it, it's how much it affected that trust within the mm. group of players. And clearly 
they've probably had some conversations behind closed doors and said, mate, you're a little bit silly here. Yeah. Um, but the language that they've used is very, very different to the language that they've used where they felt someone's breached their trust as a, as and, a playing group. And the West Indies were more than happy to have him right back in the fold as well. They were happy to have him back in the bubble, training admittedly separate to the team. They were like, yeah, there's no problem yeah. with this. This is that We're ready to move on. So a bit of a storm in a teacup as far as the media are concerned. Awesome. Well, we'll be back after this very short break to wrap up the podcast. So we'll see you in a sec. So before we wrap up the podcast, for those expecting to hear a wrap up of this test match at Emirates Old Trafford, we are actually recording before the game is finished. So next week's feed, we'll see us wrap up that England West Indies series and start to preview the rest of the English summer. Before we do disappear, though, cricket is back on our TVs. Hallelujah. Um, I want a bit of a highlight or low light from the last little period of time. So I'm going to come to Mr. Lipshaw first. Oh, look, you asked me this before. And, and uh, I, part of my highlight is the fact that the West Indies won this first test. And, and you know, we, this has become a real good series. Mm. If, if that hadn't have happened, you know, potentially it becomes less interesting over the time. But... If you're asking for one highlight, it's Dom Best going through the gate in in that uh, last second test, and uh, you know, Baldy moving swiftly, to, moving swiftly to <laughs> there you. There's never going to be anything else in that. I'll I'll be Captain Obvious. I mean, Ben Stokes's performance over this test series has been outstanding. Not just with the bat, we kind of expect him to do wonderful things with the bat, but his spell with the ball when that test wicket was doing absolutely nothing, mm. to put that kind of effort in and bowl himself almost literally into the ground in search of a wicket, sprint 75 metres from the off drive all the way down to the fence to save one run. Look, the guy is a fantastic, fantastic cricketer, and I know he broke New Zealand's hearts, and we won't sort of dwell on that, but he is a fantastic cricketer, and I I, I run out of superlatives to describe Ben Stokes. New Zealand, uh, not New Zealand, England... England batted slowly in that first innings in the second test and almost dug themselves into a hole, didn't quite give themselves enough time. Were it not for Ben Stokes's 78 off 57 balls, batted at almost nines on the morning of the final day to put England in a position to win the game. He's a champion cricketer. It's interesting though there, isn't it, that the runs have been what's kind of got all the headlines, but actually your highlight there is the fact that he got that, you know, he got those wickets, those key yep. wickets. A hundred percent. Raj, what about you? Yeah, for me, uh, it's the low light that you mentioned, and it's that three-t three-team cricket that came out of South Africa. Um, I was really excited for it. I, I really love innovation. Can, can I just ask why you're excited? <laughs> yeah, I, I really, I'll, I'll tell you in a second. I really love innovation. Uh, I love something that's different. Um, I just think they had a real chance to to put some kind of showcase on for this new type of cricket with new rules. What let you down? They just made it a gimmick. It, it reminded me of 2020 when it first started. They had the, you know, with the big hair and the afros, you know, mm -hmm. the Hamish Marshall and all those guys. And the, Retro the, uni yeah. and whatnot. I think they just needed to play a serious game of cricket with those rules, and mm. we could have seen some cool strategic differences, some some real innovation. Mm. Did you understand different. it as it was explained to you? Yeah, I read the rules three times. Mate, you, had to read the, it. you had to read it up for <laughs> yeah, a lot. And then yeah. the other thing was, you know, crossing the Mark Nicholas, I think you said it yeah, um, during so the thing. That was, yeah, they just really let me down in the way that they produced it, the way that they sold that to us or presented it to us. It needed to be different. I think the concept has some real merit and it's just something different, you know? Um, I, I think it's got merit for, um, I mean, Nicholas, in part of the way he was talking about it, was 
you know, for kids, like this is a quite a cool way to get some schools involved, you know, for schools or something. You can go and you can have three teams and you can have a whole bunch of players playing. You can kind of have eight fielders. You can have 11 fielders. You can kind of, yeah. He's on the advisory board for it, you know. I, I'm well aware of that, yeah. 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 I'm Yeah, I'm well aware he was plugging it. But, <laughs> you know, I do think that has merit, like, you know, making it interesting and stuff for that. But to me, when I watched it, it was so boring, mainly because everyone was just on the boundary. It was like, this is ridiculous. There's absolutely no pressure. I mean, England's been doing, uh, West Indies have been doing it in this test every now and again. They've just been putting every single fielder on the boundary. And it's like, there's just no, there's no atmosphere. There's no challenge for anybody out there. I think I think that, that particular thing is easily fixed with uh, making it 11 a side. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Uh, the 8 a side, it's a very uh, reminiscent of Monday Night Cricket <laughs> with the um, with the master batters. You've just got the so six players got, on the boundary. You haven't got the ASCII though. No, yeah, no, no beer, beers. But no, no beers think, on the boundary. That might have helped. Yeah, well that one in particular I think is changed or fixed by having 11 people and actually mm. having proper cricket fields, uh, yeah. field sets, placements. What about you, Binksy? So for me, it's Broad and Anderson. So there's been a lot of crap talks in this period around rotation and load management and leading into this game, an attack to take 20 wickets and that kind of veiled, you know, what we'll do is pick the best attack to win the game rather than, the you know, the best attack. What's been proved in the last, you know, 48 hours for me, and obviously we're only going into um, day three of the test match today, so still a lot of water to go under the bridge. But the guys have got 1,100 test wickets between them, nearly. They are the best two bowlers that England have arguably ever produced um, from a statistical perspective. They deserve to be on the park together. Please, when you want to win a test match, don't split them up. Add Archer to the mix. Your man Stokes, boom. Thank you very much. Do you think would they have made it? Would they have made it through three tests, though? <laughs> No, I'm, I'm absolutely not saying that they should have been on the park for all three games. I, I, I absolutely think it was a mistake in that first test match of the series that Broad was left out, particularly given his record in England. Yes, it gave him a little bit of a kick up the bum, arguably, and very, very dif you know, difficult to play them um, across, you know, across three tests in such close proximity. But they have earned the right to be in that best attack. And look, I think ultimately, you know, sense common sense has prevailed for this game, which, you know, ultimately is a must win if you want to win the series. And they've got their, you know, their two absolute champions um, who have repaid them in, in spades. Do you think there's some strategic merit in, in splitting them up for the first test and then playing your best attack in the third test? Not with England's record in terms of first test in series it's awful isn't mm. it yeah mm. so that you know that, that they might as well just forfeit the first test in <laughs> and the if last... it had it rained on the fifth day they would have lost that yeah. that series well i guess i guess you're right the merit's probably in winning that first test and then you look at rotating and then, and then you can look at yeah. resting guys yeah fair enough yeah so yeah for me they've got the you know they've got the attack right big call on butler as well um you know bumping him up to six and you know he's showed some class in that uh, you know in that inning so yeah, fair play to him. you know fair play to him because i think folks would have been knocking pretty hard on the door for that pakistan series if he hadn't got a score in that yeah in that inning yeah he's probably done enough now to keep himself in that side for that pakistan series judging on what he's done in the first of the third test well guys it's been absolutely awesome to stand around a table talking this week in cricket for the first time in what seems like absolutely ages so great to see the stadiums albeit not filled 
um, but with the sound of leather on Willow. Thanks for tuning in to the Top Order podcast. Before you disappear from our feed, if you're a new listener, please do go and check out the back catalogue. We've spoken recently to New Zealand coach Gary Stead. We've got Graham Thorpe. We've got Shane Dietz. We've got Barry Richards, Shane Bond, Colin Miller, all in the back catalogue. You can find the details www.thetoporderpodcast.com with the Top Order Podcast on Instagram, although we're still really figuring that out. We're at Top Order Pod on Facebook and Twitter. So don't be shy to jump on, give our tweets a share or a retweet, and we'll see you next week.